From Mushroom, this is some of my best work. I'm Jane Rocker. And this was the first one where I felt like, oh, I've actually accomplished that thing where I'm being able to read you my diary and I'm not cringing at it and I don't think the listener is either. Crofts had already had an extensive music career, most notably with the four-piece band All Our Exes Live in Texas. But it's a song of her debut album under the name of Baby Velvet that's been chosen as some of her best. The song's not new. It's been on the Exes set list for many years, starting with a gig at South by Southwest pre-pandemic. Baby Velvet's album is called Please Don't Be In Love With Someone Else and it's out now wherever you get your music. Here's Hannah Crofts and the story of her song, Best In Show. I wrote this song in 2017 because I am obsessed with a band called Shovels and Rope and in 2017 I went to the... Uh, factory theatre to see Shaky Graves perform because I don't know if you know him but he's going to be my future husband one day <laughs> I'm sure of it and and I'm sure that him receiving my eyelashes in the mail every week makes him know it too um, <laughs> but I was obsessed with him so I went to see him play and he's um, he was actually opening for this band from North Carolina called Shovels and Rope and I've never, ever seen anything that's ever made me so happy in my life. It's a husband and wife and Carrie-Anne plays the drums and Michael plays the guitar and they they just sing at each other into one microphone and the harmonies and the songwriting and the fact that they can do folk songs and blend their harmonies so beautifully but at the same time have them be so raucous and raw. I just absolutely obsessed and so I think I had it in my mind that all I wanted to do was write a song with their songwriting in mind and then at the same time we went on tour with a band who were from America and I um, fell in love with the lead singer of the band just like a classic move (laughs) and that man was in a complicated open relationship and we got involved and so the lyrics are about him but it is with shovels and rope songwriting in mind so it kind of all unfolded over about a year and then this is a song that as a band your other band toured and played when you were opening for midnight oil yeah exes went on what we called um, school camp and we went away we hadn't had time to learn new songs for a while and we'd all kind of written some so we went away to I want to say George's grandma's house, but I think it was just like a house sit that looked like a grandma's house in Sydney. And we were there for five days and we did boot camp and we learned each other's songs. And we learned this song. The next thing that happened was we played South by Southwest and we played with Midnight Oil. And the very first time this song got played live was at the San Francisco show. It was the last show of the Midnight Oil tour. And we just thought, why not? Let's just try. It's one of my favorite memories is playing this song in front of that audience and if it's not too long a story, one of the things about the Midnight Oil shows was when we did it, 
their audience, it's a lot of men over 50 and we are four women singing sissy folk love songs. So when we started the tour, we were like, oh, I don't know if anyone is going to get into this. I don't know if they're going to like it. But that was the last show of tour and all of their super fans had gone to every single show. So by the sixth show, they'd seen us play six times and they were singing along with all the words. And oh, that's awesome. They were meeting us every night after the shows to say thank, like congratulations and they all stood up at this set and gave us a standing ovation and was like it was just so special now take us through your musician for 15 years I mean music's inherently in your DNA obviously I mean that's a long time to be committed to the craft but how your love of music has evolved changed and made you who, who you are Hannah I started music when I was um like 17, 18, and decided that I really wanted to be a musician. And I thought that the way to do that would to be um, to learn jazz for some reason. I didn't really listen to jazz and I didn't really love it, but I just thought this is how you get to be a musician. Yep. So <laughs> I did that and I went to WAPO in WA. That's where I met Georgia Mooney from All Our Exes. And both of us actually dropped out early because every day we'd turn up late to class with a coffee in hand, just sitting at the back being very bad, <laughs> not being very good. That was perfect for meeting Georgia, though, and us being able to connect over our, over our love of folk music and the Wainwrights and McGarrigals. And so Georgia was moving to Sydney at the time, and I'm from Melbourne, so I moved back to Melbourne but Alana Stone, who's in our band, she was actually my singing teacher when I was in high school, um, which is how we met. She was living in Sydney and I wanted to keep getting lessons and I wanted to keep, um, I just think she's an amazing songwriter. So I was getting some songwriting craft off her. So I thought, why not move to Sydney? So I moved to Sydney and moved into Alana's spare room at her house. And uh, me and her and Georgia and our friend Katie all started hanging out together. And we kind of got involved in the bluegrass scene there. Um, we have some good friends called the Morrisons and Ben and the Steamgrass Boys and every night we'd end up at a bar and at 3am everyone would be jamming and singing and go back to someone's house and kind of did that for about a year and realised that I absolutely cannot play bluegrass music because it's you have to be very skilled. Yeah. <laughs> I'm absolutely not. Went down that path for a bit until James from the Morrisons booked X's for a show where we were going to be the sirens from Oh Brother Where Art Thou. We did that show um, and we got together as a band. I bought a ukulele for that show, Georgia bought a mandolin, um, and I had the chords written on my ukulele to remember what they were and did the show and then got booked for another show with the Perch Creek Family Band and Jug Band and then got booked for another show and then it kind of just spiralled into X's. Eventually, next year's our 10th year as a band, eventually just becoming my full-time gig. And musically, I guess... You know, within that band, it's a democracy. So every song is written four ways. Every song everyone has input to. We come up with all the harmonies and the arrangements together. And when I started that band, I absolutely couldn't play an instrument. And my harmony singing wasn't very good. Like I didn't have a very well-trained ear to sing with other people. And the three of those girls are absolutely phenomenal where they can walk into a room and hear a harmony and just do it straight away. They can pick things out straight away. Like their musicality is fantastic. And I think that through the 10 years, they've just lifted me up to their level and they're still, you know, just they're much better than me, but I have improved because of playing with such good people over that time. And that's made me then feel confident enough that I can actually play an instrument. So I play guitar in Baby Velvet and sing and work out the harmonies on my own and, and be totally in control of the arrangements and, and the performance side of it all on my own now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to come back to the song though, Best in Show. In terms of 
that hard on sleeve sort of confessional, you're really putting what's happening to you, I guess, out there. But that's the nature of country and a lot of that scene, isn't it? It's very raw and honest. But I wonder what happens to you as the person writing it and sharing that. Does that make you sort of get to the other end and feel like, great, ready for the next adventure? (laughs) Um, Yes, it does. And the thing about this song is that there's so much love put into it and there's so much heart. And the person who it's about knows that, you know, was involved in the process of it. Like I'm not sharing a story that I'm unwelcome to share. Especially for the first few years of playing it, it was just so cathartic to sing it because I just I felt so many big emotions about it and to put it out into this audience who, when we play it live, I feel like it's the song for me that gets a really big reaction and people really connect to. And then afterwards, it's always the song that someone will come up and talk about. You know, it's weird because when you share your emotions and your heartbreak, people feel very open to telling you about theirs, which is sometimes really nice and sometimes really awkward depending on what mood you're in. But mostly it's lovely and they'll come up and they'll say, I've had this really complicated thing happen and and this song really spoke to me and I haven't, you know, connected in that way, which is the beauty of country and folk music. It is so raw and someone is telling a story that hopefully when you're listening to it, you can identify with it in some way. And in terms of connecting it to some of your best work, what elements of the song sort of stand out to you as being just that? I would say it's my best work because I think it's an earworm. I think that the chorus, I think it gets stuck in your head and goes round and round. In the chorus, it's in three-part harmony. They talk about with harmony singing, it hits certain bits of dopamine in your head and it's like falling in love when you sing with other people and there's harmony involved. And I think in that chorus... If you have four people standing on stage, because in my in Baby Velvet as well, there's four people who sing that this in the full production. And when you all belt it, I just feel like it's an explosion of dopamine and like an explosion of love in those moments. It feels like it's got some grit and some bite to it. I'm also really proud that I do feel like it's a shovels and ropey type sound. And that's kind of from like the side chaining guitar and the um, keyboard that comes in at the start of the second verse production wise that Kevin and I were really in on my record were really able to try and develop the sound that they have but still make it my own and tell us then about obviously baby velvet the new album that's just come out really and recording this song for that and sort of reconnecting to the past but giving it a totally now makeover, I guess. I think I was um, pretty specific with what I wanted with this one because X's had actually recorded it. So we recorded it when we were in LA and we got it back and we worked with a friend of ours who we love, but he kind of gave it this um, like hip-hop feel, which was cool. It sounded good in that context, but not the context that I wanted it to be in. So... By the time I took it to Kevin, my producer, firstly, I was supposed to be in the studio to record it with him, but because of the pandemic, I made it remotely. So I did all of the um, guitar and vocals at my house and then would send it over to him. And then we made this um, album in isolation. Um, So by the time we got to it, pretty much had sussed out, specifically written down what keyboard sounds I wanted, how, how I wanted the drums to sound. I got to record all my vocals. So I did you know, 400 takes of each harmony and the melody and then sent it to him to comp, which would have been a true nightmare for him. But 
you know, just how we had to make it work. And then he would send me back takes and then we would just work through it like bar by bar, verse by verse to wiggle with it until we got it exactly how I wanted. I think personally this was the first song for me. This is the other reason why I chose it. This is the first one where I was like, oh, I'm a real musician. Because <laughs> the other songs that I've written for exes in the early days or i just written in general, sometimes I feel like the diary entry thing, the way that I talk so candidly in songs can come off, you know, a bit cheesy or a bit naff. And I think that process of learning how to do that, you do have to be kind of embarrassed in that you are reading out your diary to a group of people and that that can come off a bit cringy, I guess. And this was the first one where I felt like, oh, I've actually accomplished that thing where I'm able to read you my diary and I'm not cringing at it and I don't think the listener is either. And then from putting that out into the world, I felt the repercussions have been like of having people start to see me as a songwriter. And I've had lots of people uh, from hearing that song, I've done co-writes and performances and I feel like a lot of my opportunities have kind of come off the back of doing that. And I think it just holds a little place in my heart for being like, oh yeah, okay, I can do this thing. I'm curious to get your perspective on 15 years of being in music and how your voice as an artist has perhaps amplified in that time. I mean, is this the time now to sort of be in a band and be heard uh, regardless of gender, regardless of of how you identify, or even if you are a woman in a band? Is the timing right now because more people are paying attention to giving everyone a go? I hope that this isn't too much of a side answer, but I was talking to my friend yesterday and when I was – would have been about six years ago. So before the Me Too movement, I called someone out on the internet for being a misogynist and they sued me for defamation. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I know. And the, the thing was going through the process is that I wasn't, I never defamed this person because they'd said, I'd, I'd literally just quoted what they'd said, but I was going to absolutely go bankrupt and lose because they had more money to be in court for longer. Yeah. And I got a lot of hate mail and I got a lot of death threats and I got a lot of um, – I lost a lot of friends and just uh, – it was it was the most awful experience. And I think that in retrospect now since the Me Too movement, I think that, you, that I would be able to say something like what I said and for that I still think you'd have the haters but I think that more people would have understood and more people would have been on my side yep. and I'd be less scared to say it now as I would have then. Mm. So I think across my career – I feel more confident now that people are willing to listen and people aren't so black and that felt like a really black and white case to me. I think people are more likely to try and understand and be supportive and then actually just like structurally, like I think that there's yeah. things in place now where um, you do have to have diversity and which is I, I'm obviously all for, but yeah. they've um, you know this actual structural inequality is starting to shift. And tell me a little about, I mean, for those listening to obviously both both bands, I guess, and and what Baby Velvet sort of gives you that all our exes is sort of unable to, in a way. Baby Velvet is my goddaughter, um, and she's four, and she's absolutely fearless. I've never met anyone who is just lives with no anxiety or fear. Um, she's a little bulldozer, and so when I was thinking about this project, I wanted to do the fearless version of myself. Um, so I thought if I call it Baby Velvet, it's kind of like the punk rock drag queen version of my personality in this project which you know in exes 
I can do all those things, but I am one. I'm one in four, and I will only ever have one fourth control, um, which is what makes it beautiful. It's the it's the coming together of the four voices and the four personalities and the four opinions that will always make that band beautiful. But then, for the first time ever, sitting down and going, okay, but how do I want these songs to sound, and what do I want to say in this record, and um, you know, what do I want the art to look like, and the video clips and it's a, t- it's a totally different thing and I think both things have their positive and negative things about them. I'm just really proud that I've been able to make a record and put it out. That feels like an insane achievement. Let's just ask you too about the zine that comes with a purchase of, of the record, right? Or can people buy the fanzine separate to that? At the moment, I'm just doing it when you buy the record to okay. um, get you to buy the yeah, music. but. But I made a zine. It took me as long as the record um, and it's a small homemade magazine. It's 40 pages long and it's each – there's different pages match different songs. So if I wrote a song while I was on tour, I collected um, different bits of collage and took lots of photos and then would make two pages that are the visual representation of the song. Um, but then on top of that, there's just artwork that I've made and lyrics and behind the scene photos of the video clips that I made and who I've worked with on this record. And I love it as much as I love my album, really. It feels just as special and just as me. That's beautiful. It's um, it's also a nice gift that a fan can have that's mega personal, right? It's the visual representation of the audio. It's so personal and it feels so me of just inviting you into this world that I have created both, both musically and visually in this diary. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for taking part in this podcast with me and talking about your music and your career and and all you've achieved. No, thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for listening to this episode with Hannah and her song, Best in Show, from Baby Velvet's debut album, Don't Be In Love With Someone Else. A bit of news about an upcoming episode. Jimmy Barnes is booked in with us to talk about some of his best work. I'm Jane Rocker. Thanks for listening.